On this edition of Orlando Magic Pod Squad, presented by Kia, we catch up with former Magic point guard Rafer Alston. Although Rafer was only in a Magic uniform for four months, there were four incredible and memorable months as he replaced an injured Jameer Nelson, brought stability to that 9 starting point guard position and helped the Magic make their way all the way to the NBA Finals in 2009. We take a nice stroll down memory lane as Rafer reminisces on what it was like to get traded from Houston, who was also contending in the Western Conference, to Orlando, and also his upbringing in the streets of New York where he was a streetball legend and got the nickname Skip to My Lou. A terrific trip down memory lane with Rafer Alston in this edition of Magic Pod Squad presented by Kia. This is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. This is Evan Fournier. This is Jonathan Isaac. This is Mo Bamba. Check out what's new with the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. The hosts of characters give you a behind-the-scenes look at Magic Basketball. The Magic Pod Squad has you covered. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and the Google Play Store today. And welcome, everyone, to Magic Pod Squad. Pod Squad is brought to you by Kia, official vehicle of the Orlando Magic. Myself, George Galate, we are beyond excited to catch up with this man. Rafer Alston, skip to my Lou, 11 NBA seasons, and of course, one very meaningful one here in Central Florida, that 08-09 finals run. Rafer was a huge part of that. We'll get into all of that, but first, Rafer, it's great to see you, my friend. Uh, let everyone know what you're up to. I know you're living in Houston, and, and catch us up on what you're up to now. Yeah, living in Houston, Texas still. Uh, uh, past couple of years, I was scouting Timberwolves. Even while I was doing that, I was coaching my son's uh, AAU team, the sixth graders. Well, you know, I had them since they were fourth. And uh, just doing that, a lot of staying in basketball as much as I can, as best I can, and, and, and you know, just trying to help out where I can. Great no question. Rafer, we, only, we only do the podcast with guys with a, a eight trophies behind them, a minimum <laughs> trophies behind them. So you, you qualify. You definitely qualify. Thank you. I, what I do for y'all is when I know y'all interviewing the other guys, I make sure to go tell them to go get some of the old trophies. Dust them all and put them behind them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, let everybody know what are those you got for those that are just listening uh, and can't see. He's got a bunch of trophies behind him. Where do those oh, yeah. all come from? A lot of these, a lot, a lot of these trophies are pretty much all uh, my son's trophies for the team that he plays on, and you know I, I have the luxury of coaching them. You know, and and they do they I was just as you see they do their fair share of winning and uh yes they do Good they God. do a lot of traveling it's not just it's not just local they do a lot of traveling in and out the states and so you know it's good it's good it's great watching them and it, it, it puts you in a mindset when they're playing and I'm coaching that like, you know you rem, you remember the times when you were the age playing the game and, and I try to instill them that all the guys that they idolize, the Steph Curry's, the Damian Lillard's, because my son doesn't idolize me because I'm not I'm not up to date. So come on now, come <laughs> on now. I'm old school to, to him. So, but I try to tell them that everyone we all started from somewhere. So you know, it's good to see them you know playing and working on their skill set in, in their games. Now, George, if our kids Google us, it's going to be very bad basketball that they're going to watch. <laughs> if Rafers, if Rafers kids Google him. Yep. Are you kidding me? Come on now, Rafer. He must have gone down that path. You are a streetball legend, an accomplished NBA player, went to an NBA Finals. I mean, he has to have found all those highlight reels, right? Well, he does. He finds it, but he just he, – he'll skip mine. Like, he'll look at it and skip it. <laughs> uh, he'll go to Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, all these guys, 
and, and now La, and now Lamelo balls. <laughs> oh, he's <laughs> even gone past Steph and Dame at this point. Like, oh my goodness, next generation already. Yeah, oh, he. That's listen. Even they put. Even I'm on the video game. He won't even play. Use me on the video game not once. <laughs> that's unbelievable. You know, Rafer, I, I'm into. The, I'm reading this book. Uh, it's called Loose Balls. It's about the ABA. And it okay. mentions a lot of street ball, you know, and New York City legends that came up playing, right? So Connie Hawkins and Roger Brown and, and just a lot of legends. And I think about what, you kind of get a little bit of an idea what it means to be a, a legend on those parks in New York City. But to have lived it, Rafer, and, and to be the legend that you are and to come up with Skip to My Lou and the Nick, what did that mean to you? Kind of paint for everybody a picture of what it means to play those games with the audiences that you drew for a pickup basketball game in New York city. Well, it, it's, 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 it was so surreal for me because for me playing out there in the playgrounds and, and playing against a lot of these older guys and guys, my age, um, I was young. So I could, I didn't really grasp, uh, everything until I got a little older. Uh, you know, for me, when I was playing out there, uh, you, you get all the names, the Connie Hawkins, Julius Irving, World Be Free. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, the list goes on. And then guys that didn't really have that storybook NBA career, the Joe Hammonds, Fly Williams, uh, Errol Manigo, all these guys that, that were phenomenal out there on the playgrounds that attracted thousands and thousands of people to the park. You know, I just, as I when I was playing, I just thought it was the New York City way of life in the summertime that, you know, everyone comes to the park, watch us play. They, they heckle you or, or is they going to give you a nickname and love you or they just going to heckle you and, and, and talk trash to you. So <laughs> it, I just thought, like I said, I just thought it was a day in the life every day in New York City. Uh, it wasn't until I got older, I realized what I've done, who I was uh, when I was playing out there, what, I, what I've become and, and what I meant to the whole landscape of street ball, New York City basketball. Uh, it didn't dawn on me until I was older playing into the NBA and I had days where I could just sit back and reflect and realize, wow, I captivated everyone's hearts and souls and minds out there. Every time I was playing, you know, um, it's, it's hard, it's hard to go realize that when you're out there playing because you're playing against some really, really good basketball players, even though the world of basketball didn't see these people make it to the NBA. These, these are some fine basketball players out there. Now, Rafer, that's where, that's where you, you really got, into everybody's homes was through the the playgrounds and the the and one mixtape. When when do you start working on the the ball handling? Maybe that's not as conventional as you would learn at a basketball camp. I mean, because you were doing some things that you know you don't. I mean, nowadays kids are doing all kinds of crazy things, but it was unheard of back when you guys were putting those mixtapes together. Well, well, for us in New York City, it's it's. It's almost from the time you're introduced to the game of basketball. It's, it's one thing that we, you know, in New York City, it, it, you're almost bred and taught that's what you're going to be. It's when I was growing up, you know. It it wasn't basketball, football, it was basketball, basketball, basketball. So we never really put the ball down. You know, even when we left the park in the summertime, it's nighttime, we'll stand in front of the, the building and just keep chilling the ball and finding new things to do with the basketball. And then when I got to junior high school, I came across some uh, Pistol Pete Mavericks tapes and I would watch it and go out there and try to do everything Pistol Pete was doing with the ball and then try to incorporate it in the game. Uh, and, and that's how it all derived. But one thing about growing up in New York City, it's, it's very hard 
you know, to put the ball down growing up in the 80s and 90s in New York City. It was very hard to like your friends and older people would never let you uh, uh, put that basketball down. So we always thought of some creative things to dribble and handle that ball. Uh, and we had we had good guys to, to learn from it. And when I was young, all our idols, we didn't have to go far to look for idols. You know, yeah. we had Mark Jackson, Rod Shrimpton, Pearl Washington, right. Ern Fleming. We had so many guys we could learn from just in our area. But then to be on that level, Rafer, and then to surpass a lot of those guys that were your heroes and your legends, I mean, it had to have been surreal. And then obviously you said you get a nickname or you get heckled. You got a nickname very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> you, yes, <sir>. you, amassed, <laughs> you amassed a huge following. I, I, I love the nickname. I love how – you know, you, you worked it into your game and it must have been surreal to have been on par and then surpass all of your heroes. Well, well, the, the, the good is like, you know, I did go and play and make it to the highest level, which is NBA. Of course, right. uh, but those guys, because of, and the bad is playing street ball is because we're growing up in the confines of where we live at New York city. The areas are, are not as good. We're like, you know, poverty, crime, uh, drug infested neighborhoods. So a lot of those guys succumb to the streets and, and which enabled them not to go as far as I, it wasn't because they didn't have the talent. You know, these right. guys had the talent to play in the NBA, uh, especially before me. Uh, but because of going another path, it, it kind of uh, hindered them from going as far as I, I, I believe it or not. A few of them had opportunities to play. Some of them did get a, a peak in the NBA, but Again, because of the other life and lifestyle, uh, yeah. it went the other route. So, you know, I was fortunate uh, to, you know, go away from New York City. I, got, I went to junior college in California. I stayed in California to, do, to go to Fresno State University. And then I got drafted in the second round. So I was fortunate to get away from right. everything that could pull me. You know, actually, that was pulling me back because streetball became my outlet because, you know, I didn't have the storybook high school career because of the same things that were pulling these guys back before me was the same thing that was uh, stopped me from having that uh, illustrious uh, high school career. And so I used I used the street ball and, and I played so much basketball in the streets of New York city to keep myself, my skills sharp, uh, my IQ of the game sharp. And then, you know, once I went to junior college, I, I started to, you know, buckle down, focus in, holding on, the, uh, locking on the books and, you know, the rest was history. So how do you, you know, how, how, how do you, how do you get that look to go to, to junior college in California, Skip? Like, where does that where does that break come from? Because clearly, I mean, in your mind, that's your break, right? You you got out of the city to go to play junior college in California. Like, how does that happen? So, so for me, it happened because, well, you know, my first two years of high school, I did play. You know, like my sophomore year in New York, I was one of the baddest guys. I was twenty five points per game in New York City, and so I was being recruited early. Okay. So even though my grades and everything slipped, some of them same schools still was, you know, going to keep eye on some of the same high school coaches and coaches that I play AAU ball. They knew a lot of junior colleges. And, and, and so it wasn't going to be hard for me to get that break to go to a school. It was just which junior college would I go to and where. So uh, uh, an AAU coach of mine by the name of Gary Charles, he, he thought it'd be best for me to go far west to, uh, to uh, California to where I could, you know, uh, lock in. Uh, even if I got, it's the funny thing about it going out west was that even if I was to get homesick of that, back then, it's not like today. You hop on the internet, yeah. you find you a deal to fly right. back <laughs> 200 bucks. No, back then, if I got homesick and I want to come home, it might have been a $1,500 ticket right. on 
And remember, the airlines are different, so it might have been on TWA. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Right, exactly. Yeah, Continental, one of them airlines back then. Fly all the way back five five uh, hours back to New York City. So it, 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 it helped me grow, you know, to be far away from home. When, once I got that break and went to Jim College, it helped me grow as, a, you know, as, you know, independent as a young man growing into a man because now you know i i you had to uh be responsible held accountable all your acts because you don't live out here you know mm-hmm. but i had to find a way to make it home you know it's interesting i grew up in boston and i it was a culture shock to come to the south it's different right and what's the culture shock going from new york city out to all the way across the country without any family what what was that experience and how was that transition for you couldn't have been easy the experience was different because I wasn't actually in L.A. I was, my first year in college, I went to, a, I was in a small town, Ventura. So right. like we, on your way to California, you're thinking everything is like L.A. Or, you know, and, and I come from a huge city. So it was a small town, county and everything. And, and, and it's more laid back. You know, I come from a place that everything's open. You can get whatever you want any hours of the night. And so when I was in about seven thirty o'clock, the whole city shuts down. <laughs> There's a lot of things you got to get used to, uh, but it was easy to adapt because I knew what I was there for. You know, I was there to go to right. school and play ball, and then enhance all the other areas in my life that I didn't get a chance to to enhance while growing up in New York City. You know, so uh, even like for you going to South, even now to till this day, I still learn a lot of things that. I didn't have the chance and luxury to do in New York City. You know, like, like, like fishing. You know, we're not fishing in New York City. No, you're not. not. <laughs> Nowadays, you know, when people say out here in Texas, let's go fish. I'm like, man, take me. Like, and, 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 yeah. and to them, it's just another day in life for them. But for me, I'm super excited. Like, come on, let's go get the fish. Where do we, let's go clean them, cut them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you want to experience everything, all of it. Yeah, you know, so even out there in California, I had to experience a lot of things that, you know, you wouldn't experience in New York City. So now you make it, right? For everything works. You, 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 you got it out. You put your head down. You go through school. You do what you have to do. And now you made it to the NBA. The goal is realized, right? You have so many friends back home, so many family members. Do you think about the ones that, that didn't make it? And you think about, I mean, what are the emotions that come to mind when you've accomplished everything that you could possibly want to accomplish and you're in the NBA? Well, when I, when I, when I heard my name on draft night, even though I didn't go first round, it was still an amazing uh, feeling. It's like a dream come true. Everything comes over you. You know, you everything flashed before you in the, in the split second when, that, when your name is called, when your name is called draft night, whether it's first round or second round. And you think about the time when you're a little kid playing ball and you're on the playgrounds counting down five, four, three, two, one. You think you're mad. Bird, you think I, you know, those are our guys we love. We love Bird, Magic. Uh, like I said, I watch Pistol Pete Maverick's tape. So uh, all that comes over, you're like, man, you know, it's finally here. It's finally arrived. And, and, and uh, all the guys that, like I said, all the guys that didn't make it from the playgrounds, you know, now they're looking at me as, you know, yeah. I was, I'm the guy that uh, gave them hope. You know, the next kid coming up behind me. That may have gone. That may go down the same path as me as far as playing, being a playground legend, like things like that. I'm giving these guys hope now. Like, man, it, this can be done. Uh, but then in five minutes, that that all wipes away because the 1998, <laughs> 99 uh, second round picks, you, you had to make the team. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, right. Sure. A lot of things just sure. makes, all that stuff. It just went by me because now I got. You know what? I got to get back on the grind and, you know, 
I got to make a good impression from day one. I hit training camp with uh, when I was in Milwaukee. So, you know, it, it worked. I was in great shape. Oh, you know what's good? You know what's good? George George and I would do the 5-4-3-2, but we never made the shot. You would, would you, <laughs> you would make that shot, right, on the plane? Yeah, I, believe it or not, I, I, I made some and I missed some. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. And that was the fun, but that was the fun part. But actually, missing it was the fun part. You know, I had no idea then missing that shot would lead up to, you know, being mentally tough when things happen on the court, right? So, you know, we oh, had no okay. idea. And, you know, when you, it's like five, four, three, two, one, you miss it. But I remember going to park, I hurry, you hurry up and go run and get the ball and do it again. So, I got you, yeah. You had, we had no idea. Even you guys probably, you know, do it. You had, we had no idea. We were strengthening our mental toughness, you know, instead of, you know, now when I watch my son do it, he slams the ball. And I'm like, do it again. Yeah, yeah. right. Try it again. That's, fa- that's fantastic. Do you think that helped you like, okay, when you, when you get drafted in the second round and then you don't make the team and it takes you, you know, a few more years to make it to the NBA. Do you think that's that mental tough, you just had this mental edge that you were going to make it like at some point, you know, this, you know, I may not go to college right out of high school, or I may not, you know, get drafted in the first round. Like that just wasn't a big deal to you. Right. It just, I mean, I'm sure it was a big deal, but you know what I'm saying? Like you were so mentally tough that like you were just looking for the next thing to knock over so you can make it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, you know what also made some Mr. Tough first before all the basketball part? It was going growing up and going through all the things that you had to endure growing up as a child and kid in New York City. And then playing as a child and a teenager going up in New York City because everything is said to you, you can only imagine what sets us on those playgrounds and what oh, adults, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it prepared me for college. Uh, and then, you know, the one thing about when I was in the NBA, because you know, on set round, I was tough because it all, it all was going to come down to, can I play? And I had so much confidence in my game. I stayed in tip top shape. So the only way I wouldn't make a team or play is because of, you know, in NBA, it's not that many slots and you, teams have guys on guaranteed contracts. So, I mean, like I said, when I was driving Milwaukee, uh, the first year, it was only two spots really left to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, a guy by the name of Darvin Ham and myself, we were the last two guys. And, and, yeah, and how about that? Both of us were in tip-top shape. You guys know Darvin, he's big, strong. So yeah, uh, we were fortunate. It was like seven of us, you know, because in, in the training camp, it's about 17 guys on the team trying to make a – back then it wasn't carrying 15, 14. That's you know, right. Carrying 12. 14. Over 13, 14, yeah. okay. Yeah. And now you can carry like 16 guys or something like that, I think it is now. And but back then we, we were sweating every day, man. It was it was and Dog and I were staying in the same hotel, man. It's like, now let's just get some eating, get some rest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rafer, this is this is gonna sound strange. And, and I don't know, I, I, I'd love to get your answer to this. We work hard. You worked hard your whole life to provide an unbelievable life for your kids, right? And right. George and I, we work hard to to try to help our kids get we coached our kids playing basketball too. And we want them to not have to go through difficult times. Do you wish that your kids could experience some of that? J- just a little bit of that failure, just a little bit of that, you know, not, I say not failure, but, you know, coming up a little bit hard, a little bit difficult. So that they know what it means when they finally make the team, you know, instead of, we try to, sh- we try to shield our kids from so much. Would it be nice for the kids to experience some difficulty along the way? Or, or do they have their? Does he have his own obstacles now, being the son of an NBA player? That's something that different obstacle that you didn't right. have. Well, one definitely, you know, I wish they can go through some adverse so they know how to handle it. Because 
Um, uh, unfortunately for me at times, and you guys know, you know, you can see my bio NBA. There's times where, you know, I would go through things in my travels in the NBA or even in college sometime. And it wasn't so much what may have happened or what I've gone through or put myself through or others may have put through. It was how you handle it that was going to determine, you know, my fate and how far I'm going to go. And I struggle with handling things the right way sometimes. So I would love for these young men and women sometimes to go through a little show. Maybe nothing, yeah. nothing crazy, nothing so. Right, of course. Right. Of course. And, but something that could, you know, uh, get them to be tough and stronger when it comes to handling things the proper way. Like I said, my son sometimes, even at, on a court with him, when when things aren't going his way, he has this dejected, pouting look on his face. I'm yes, like, right. You got to right. keep a straight face. Keep playing. The game is still going on. It, you know, it's not going to be good or apples and peaches every time you hit the floor. Some of the best players struggled in some certain games. So, you know, and for him, uh, to the second part of the question, is it would be tough on him to be a son of NBA player because everyone expects you to be good. You sure, know, sure. Uh, the 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 other kids, the other kids' parents. I mean, one time a guy that's and I didn't I I'm new to all that because when I was young, the uh, they weren't ranking fifth and sixth grade kids, but nowadays they do. Crazy. So wow. they ask me, they ask me, you know, which one is my son? I tell them, and like, well, he, he's got great potential. It's gonna be tough. And then all of a sudden, we look down the line, and he's like the number fiftieth or fifty eighth kid in his class. And to me, I'm like, that's great because you know how many kids that's playing ball in your your class? There's yeah, thousands. sure, sure. There's thousands of you kids. And, so, but then I had to catch myself like, well, wait a minute. Why are you bringing kids at this age? And then I had to teach yes. like, they're going to expect you to be special out there. You know, yeah. they, don't care, they don't care about the process you have to go through to get to that point. They expect you right. to skip to my loo right now. They don't understand. Even myself <laughs> had to work to be skipped to my loo. See, it's not, it's not fair. I, I think about, you know, we pull strings. We want the best for our kids. But sometimes I think it's good for a kid to get cut from a team. It's good for a kid yeah. to learn. Right to learn how to fight and 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 to and to earn it. Hey, look, I played my first two years was in Milwaukee. After my three year contract was up in Milwaukee, I went to uh, training camp with Golden State Warriors. They cut me. Do you know that's the first time in my life I had to deal with my so called rejection in the basketball world? I've never been cut from a team in my life. I was always remember a lot of us that Perfect. make it to the NBA. Ninety five percent of us. We were the man in the in the public school. We were the man on fifth and sixth grade team. We were the man in middle school. We're the man on the high school team. A lot of <laughs> all city, all state. We're the, like I was the man on the junior college. I was junior college. Yeah, I was, right. I was one of the man besides you know myself, Chris Herron, sure. uh, Boston Master, uh, Fall River sure. Master. Right, he, right. I, he was the man. I was the man in, in college. And then now you get to the NBA. A lot of us face. Our first time of so-called basketball rejection, you know, uh, whether it be you got cut or now you go from being a starter your whole life to now, oh no, you're the 13th man here. <laughs> so yeah, like, right. That's a different. You don't go through it. It's tough for us to deal with that. Man, I go from playing every day in college, having 35 minutes, and now I'm getting five DMPs. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so right. Our first three years, I had to learn how to deal with that and keep ticking. You know, I had to come every day in the morning. I had to, like practice start at 11. I'm there at 10. I'm already in a sweat working on my game. I stay an hour late. I'm still not getting no run, but I had to keep keep at it, keep at it. Then, you know, lo and behold, by the time my fourth, fifth year came, I was I was the start of the rest of the way. And just imagine if I couldn't if I wasn't able to deal with that so-called rejection back then. You're right. It would have been out the league. 
Well, it's so easy to blame everybody else, right? Uh, I'm not getting a fair shake. I'm not getting this. Right. So what click was it Toronto? Was it Miami? Where did it click? Where, where did something click? This is where I can, I can, I, I can make a living. I can be a starter in the NBA for a long time. No, you know, you know, believe it or not, it clicked when I was with the, with the bus because okay. I was, I had, see the good thing about then is I had veterans in front of me and I'm talking about yeah. veterans. That's you know, true. Right. The difference between veterans now and then, these kids, veterans, uh, a 21-year-old man. You know, these yeah, kids yeah. are going to be at 18. By the time they're 21, 22, they already got five, six years in. And they crazy. They, they were full-time starters from day one, right? When I came to leave my veterans. But, but, you need, but you need to, and you're right, and that's my fault, because you need to let everybody know. You're talking about Sam Cassell, Ray Allen. You're talking about some of the biggest ones to come through. You're trying to carve out playing time, right? Yeah. But, but even – Besides those guys, I'm talking about guys that I was a young kid watching in college. Danny Manning, J.R. Yeah. Reed, Scott yeah. Williams. I was watching these guys in, at North Carolina in 88, you know, 87, 88. That's right. That's I watched right. Danny Manning in the championship in 88 from, in, in my right. life. Wow, Danny, right. in, they call him Danny, <laughs> Danny in the Miracles. So now I'm on the That's team. With, they already, they're, they're like almost on a tail end their career, right? But they schooled me. Right. They, they let me know because in practice, they saw me. They saw me go to work on this, the Sam and they saw me go to work on something. Like I had Benny Del Negro. They were working. I mean, guys, I was yeah. watching. And they told me your time will come. And that when they were telling me those things, I knew that, OK, this the almost the business side of it, too, for this business for a coach, too, because a coach really George calls a phenomenal coach. He you if I'm coaching, NBA, I might trust my veterans before I trust a young player. You know, so it, it wasn't as so the only frustrating part was not getting the minutes. But then when you think about the grand scheme, it wasn't frustrating because I knew what was going on because I was schooled by veterans. They were every day. They would say, man, skip your day going to come and just to hang in there. You know, so but it really happened when I got the 10 day. So after after I didn't make a team with the Warriors, I was cut from the Golden State Warriors. I had went to the D leaves, the D league then. Uh, I think I played, I was down there, I was like 16, 17 points. I played five games in the D-League, and I got called up a 10-day with Toronto. And once I got there, I hit the ground running, and it was, that's when it really hit me that not only could I log some backup minutes, I could be a starter in this league. Uh, because I, I had a stretch where I was getting 20 points per game for like a five or six game stretch there. And one of my 20-point games happened to be against the Bucks. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course it did. Yeah, of course it did. It just Dante, it just happened to be against the Bucks. Yeah, it just happened to be. Okay. It just happened to be the Bucks. And the beauty of that day was that all those guys I met came up to me and they gave me a hug after the game. They beat us. And they said, man, we're so proud of you. And we knew that we knew that you, you could do it. And, and, you know, that was the beauty of that 20-point night. Well, then, Rafer, what if – and some guys don't get that. Some guys don't get those good bets like that. What happens to the guy that's frustrated with his playing time and doesn't have Danny Manning, all those guys in his ear saying – your time's going to come. Do you kind of sympathize with, with those guys that maybe don't have that? From I definitely sympathize with them. I, you know, uh, um, I was a vet to some of those type of guys. I mean, one yeah. time I, I looped ahead and, uh, and uh, John Lucas the third. they were my backups in Houston. Sure. And remember, Luke the head just come from playing with Illinois and playing a lot of minutes. They went to the Final Four and everything. So I know it's tough for them. And I, you, someday I come into the practice facility and I can see the, the dejected look on them. And I had to remind him, hey, you're not the only one that's ever going to go through yeah, right. part of your career. I did. But to with your question, I would encourage those people to, to lean, go talk to the coach, talk to the assistant coaches, because 
a lot of people don't understand those guys have open door policies. Mm-hmm. You're on their team. They want to help you figure this thing out and see where you can uh, play, where they can find you minutes. They're going to let you know the things you need to work on. And real strong stand-up coaches, they're going to let you know too. It's nothing personal. I trust these guys. You know, these guys have been in this league for years. They know what it takes to be a professional. They know how to win in this league. They know how to utilize their time in this league. And that way you understand where you have the, the level you have to get to, not only with your game, but with, you know, with your habits and, you know, understanding what it is to be a professional. All right, Skip. So you, you spend time in Milwaukee, Toronto, Miami, Houston. So then you fast forward to 09 and you get the call that you're traded to Orlando. What goes through your mind during that point? And I mean, I was there with you in Charlotte when you when you showed up for the game and they gave you number thirty six with no number on the back, no name on the back. You 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 should still tell them now. That was a crazy jersey number they gave. Right there, and plus I also I also remember the armpits seemed like super super long. It, it was a I think it was the jersey length and everything was for I think a small folder of powerful. For yeah. sure. Oh my god, that's what I they think gave. It, was, it might have been the only jersey in Sid's bag that night. I think. Yeah. It, yeah. that wasn't that didn't belong to somebody right. so so get take us through what you're thinking as you're as you're coming to charlotte you're joining this magic team who's playing great basketball at the time what's going through your mind when when you when you get to charlotte uh so what going through my mind actually was i already knew what coach wanted i already played for coach we coached miami coach stan van gundy and so it was i didn't have to learn a total new system what only thing I needed to learn, so the whole flight there and everything, the only thing I kept playing on my is learning Dwight and learning uh, to play off of uh, Turpoglu. Rashard was, was going to be easy because I already had a feel for him because I said, well, I know I can pick and pop with him. I know we can just post them if they switch. So playing that game with him is kind of like playing a pick and roll with Tracy McGrady. It's like if they switch, then I'm gonna throw it back to McGrady and let them wheel him down. It was it was it was, it was easy, easy with me, him and I. That was the biggest thing, and I was excited because I'm going from one contending playoff team because people forget that in Houston yep. we are we are title contending team when healthy. So with Yao, yep. McGrady, myself, and all the guys helped Battier when healthy. We're a title contending team, and I'm going to another title contending team. So yep. it didn't. It was easy to throw the ball to Dwight in the post. I had to work on my law. And Van Gunny said, throw the law. And at one time, him and I got to it. I'm not telling him, like, I'm not Jameer Nelson. I don't I don't throw laws that good. Yeah, I can throw the so him and I, one time, in the middle of a game, was going back and forth. They wanted to come through and just throw it up. I'm like, I'd like to shoot my teardrop. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, you know, afterwards, we have fun. But my whole mindset was just lead them from a point guard standpoint. And the one part that I wanted to try to continue to do was be able to knock the three down because I knew they would double the turf blue and these guys at some point. Um, the beauty of it all is those guys made me feel it, I they made me feel right at home. Right at home. The players, the coaches staff, which most of the guys on coach staff I had before. Uh, and then all the the personnel uh working with the mad the magic, you yourself, uh everybody that worked with them, they, they everyone made me feel at home. So my transition was easy, you know. Uh I'll give you one funny story is that, that uh, I forget who it was. I don't know if it's Otis at the time, GM, uh, but I tried to milk my stay in the hotel as long as I can. I tried to get the match paid for it the whole time. <laughs> but 
these guys let me stay there for February all the way to April. Then when they realized we were gonna go far in the play, or they felt we were gonna go far, they made me get a condo. And I'm sitting there <laughs> having an argument with you. Why do I have to get a, a find me a place to live now when I stay in this hotel from February like 15th or 16th, whenever I got to Orlando, uh-huh. all the way to April? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. You know what's you know what's interesting? We were you know, because the, the Magic were having a great year. And then Jameer Nelson goes down. He was an all-star that year. And yes, it was it just, it was so deflating in this town, knowing that, you know, you, you, you lost Jameer. And we loved Anthony Johnson. We knew he'd do a great job. And he did, did do a great job for a couple of games. But you saved the season, Skip. Coming here and playing the way you did and keeping everything together without knowing these guys. You never played with these guys before. Could you feel it grow and build as you started to get more comfortable? Could you feel the city embrace what you were doing and your team embrace you? And could you feel that you were getting better and you could be something special? I felt it. I definitely felt that. Uh, um, whenever I went out to eat, sometimes I get gas. I mean, the, the fans let me know uh, um, their appreciation of, of, of what I brought to the team. Uh, even though I wasn't the all-star type of player that Jameer was having that season, they really respect what I brought to the team uh, from a, just a total, a total all-around point guard standpoint, but on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I, and it was growing, it was growing, and then each round of that playoff run, it was just, it was just pandemonium out there, and it was just unbelievable. Um, I had a, a better respect and understanding of the fan base each round and each as that even before that even as we kept that playoff was approaching i had a better understanding of the fan base it, it had me one time uh even go watch a film of when the last time they made that run with penny and shack and those guys and i, I saw how loud that arena yeah. was yeah. Uh, but for me to go around town go out to eat and have people come up to you and say man we appreciate you man <laughs> you know because it, it before I was coming over, I, I could I could imagine how some fans were happy, some fans might not be because it's not like they, I had the numbers or stats that you know I was averaging 19 points per game in tennis sure, game. Sure. So I could understand some people being like, "Well, he's he can play, but I don't know," you know. Uh, but then when they had a chance to see me out there and mesh with those guys and, and see that, oh no, everybody relax. I know you know Jameer's gone, but relax, we're gonna be all right. <laughs> But you yeah, didn't, they, I mean, were, you, they were they were hurt really, they were they were they were hurt until they knew we were getting you we were right. getting someone to come that was the thing we just we were like oh Jameer's down what are we gonna do then right. when we knew you were coming we were, okay we might have something here and, and we kind of put something together it was it was just such a special run I think about that Cleveland series right for how, how much did that mean to you when you think about all the talk was about LeBron all the talk was about Cleveland I don't remember you guys or all of us really being given any hope of winning that series right, by national analysts and all that. But you guys felt completely different about that. Excuse me. Well, we, we felt it because we knew matchup-wise, the matchup favored us. Matchup-wise, it favors us. The, but because that was LeBron and also Mo Williams had an all-star yep. year. Yep. And the way they were playing, I mean, they they, they, they the, their roster was, was phenomenal. You know, I mean, you got – Two all stars, and you guys, I mean, veterans that can fight our play. Delonte West was at a play at all time high. Uh, Junis Gasso was playing his role. They got guys off the bench, uh, Zerbiat. But if you look at the matchups as a team, uh, what they didn't want to realize, it favored us, right? So the low post game really favored us because Dwight was better down there. He was unstoppable mm-hmm. when he played with the Magic. Uh, who could really keep up with uh, Rashad Lewis on their team? 
right? A conventional power forwards couldn't really match up with him, so you couldn't put – I forgot who they had a power forward at that time. Did they have Berejau? Uh, Did they have Berejau? Oh, Berejau couldn't keep up with him. That, that's a right. bad matchup. That's a bad matchup, right? And then having a playmaker like Turpoglu makes yeah. LeBron and them have to play defense too, right? And if you don't play Turpoglu, if you go under, he can hit the three. If you chase him over, he's so big. You forget he's six, eight, six, nine, six, ten. I think he's 6'10". And he can really go and finish, and he can see the whole floor. So, And then if you double him, we had shooters all around the court, right? We had shooters coming off the bench, Petrus, Reddick, right? We had shooters in the starting lineup. And at that time, I was knocking the three-ball down. Uh, Then on the flip side, defensively, my main thing was against Cleveland was I was going to make it hard on Mo Williams. And everyone Mm -hmm. saw that series, and Anthony Johnson and myself, we made it tough on him. I mean, he was shooting low 40s, high 30s, which that's – he usually shooting mid 40s, high 40s. So, yeah. we made it tough on Mo Williams, which that was the game plan. LeBron was going to get his. Take the rest of those guys away. Then, you know, we should have – people don't understand this. I know it may sound cocky. They should have been sweat. Yep. Yes, really, really. <laughs> they should. Yeah, yeah. it's funny about that series. I even – I watched game two yesterday, and I'm sitting there like, wait a minute. We could have swept these guys. <laughs> yes, that's right. These guys were lucky to get uh, that game. Because remember, if they don't get game two, they don't get any games. We didn't give them a no. Right. They didn't have an uh, uh, Orlando. As long as as long as the little I can't forget her name. As long as the little girl kept singing that national anthem, that's people, right. People, people didn't stand a chance. Uh, did, did you guys Atlanta. feel that little Gina Marie in Candela? Remember that? Did you feel yeah, that when yeah. she came out there and sang I, that anthem? I started feeling it uh, when it was brought to our attention that every time she uh, sang, we, we very rarely lose. So uh, I felt it too, because I realized she was going to sing. I, I started jumping around. <laughs> yes, yes, keep it going. <laughs> it, it, and the way she kept singing that national anthem, man, she, it was phenomenal. Man. She had a phenomenal voice. All right, Skip. So we had Anthony Johnson on a few weeks ago, and, and I brought up the fact that you know, when they used to do their starting lineup, the Cavs, they would they would stop and take this, you know, they called it, I guess, the family photo or whatever the hell they did when they were done, you know, and they they would stop and LeBron would shoot. And then when we won and we beat them in game six at home, because I'm going to ask you, because you're in on the on the our picture. Right. AJ, AJ couldn't wait to jump in your arms and, and flash uh. the out and nobody talks about that. It's one of my it's one of my favorite parts of the whole post game celebration. And I feel like the only three people that maybe know about it are me, you, and AJ. Like that so, was the part. But the funny part, all the guys knew it, but it was all AJ. I, yes. I give I give AJ that. I give Anthony that. Anthony couldn't wait to do that because it, it did bother us. Because like I said, when they was started doing that, they did it game one at their place, right. and we're like, oh, so they don't really care. They damn us on that other side of that court, right? So we so they yeah. they think it's gonna be easy, and so. I I, cool, I tip my hat, kudos to AJ for thinking that, man. And then I'm sitting there with this man in my arms. Somebody else told him he's right there. I said, oh, man. But it was so much fun. It, it, I mean, that's one guy, man. AJ, uh, probably the consummate professional. Uh, yeah. Such a team guy, man. And, 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 man, he had a long career. He had a long career, man. And, uh, man, I, you know, one thing like I said, you bring up these guys' names. Like some of them, like, AJ, I haven't seen since then. Uh now, I can't wait for them to do the reunion and we all get back together. I love, yes, I love it. Sure, exactly. AJ, AJ hasn't shaved since you last saw him. We just saw him a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I can't and wait I, to see him. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. You mentioned Hedo. 
And Hito's still mad because he should have been the hero in game two. He's still upset about that. He hit that big shot. And if it wasn't for the miracle that you just mentioned with LeBron, you win game two and you probably do. You're right. You probably sweep the series. Yeah. Uh, how, how critical was Hito to the whole thing, making the uh, whole thing work? Hito, Hito, Hito played a major factor. Uh, I'm talking about uh, if we had to, if you look back, uh, we, I would say Hito and Dwight uh, would be the MVP of that run. You know, it's not to discredit none of my, our other guys because sure. Rashawn Lewis was phenomenal. Uh, uh, you know, I had my my days out there, and and every series I have, I put my stamp on every series. But Hito, I mean, the things he was doing from a point forward standpoint, because he was playing point forward. And look, like I never had a chance to play with him until then. And I mean, I had great respect for his all around ability when I played with him in Orlando. And Hito was big time for us that every series, every series he came up big. I mean, I remember once <laughs> I was so mad one time, even though we had the game in hand, we, we were without Dwight and Courtney Lee playing in Philly. And everyone thought that they was going to win. I mean, yeah. JJ came out firing. I think I had like 24 points to this. Rashad's firing and Hito's doing his thing. And then Hito gets thrown out. I'm like, no, don't get thrown out. <laughs> this, this, but then I realized at that point, I got thrown out. We already had the game in hand. <laughs> right, right. You're exactly right. You know, you mentioned AJ, and I've heard you say it before. You got when when Jameer was healthy and came back in the finals. You guys were all happy. You guys were all wanted Jameer back, but you wanted to find a way for AJ to play too. And I, and I think that's kind of the sense we got from him. You know, had had there been a way because you what you and AJ were doing was special. That one two combination, and if you could have added Jameer into that mix. You still right. could have found a way to found a way to make that whole thing work. I, that's one of my biggest disappointments. Uh, only that's the only disappointment of yeah, sure. All three of us being there is that the job AJ was doing at the time Jameer got out, uh, got hurt, and then the job he still was doing even when I got there as a backup, it was phenomenal. Uh, and for him, and it's tough. It's tough. Look, sure. I hate to be a coach and have to be in that situation. I will tell you that right now. I, I tell my head to stand back. I hate to have to make that decision. Right. Unfortunately, man, it, it was tough even for me to look at AJ right there. Sometimes when a bitch not getting the playing time in the finals, um, that was tough to swap to that was a tough pill to swallow not for him and for myself and all of us. However, we were excited to get Jameer back. Um, we knew he's he wasn't gonna be in the rhythm. Uh, sure. having having, you know, having not played in so long. It was, it was gonna be tough to get in the rhythm against arguably the best team in the league. Uh obviously, um, Whenever you win the championship, you're the best team in the league. You got to give you your, your credit. And it was going to be tough. It was going to be tough for him, man. But we loved it because you, you, you never get – this is what we play for, a chance to make it to the NBA Finals. Yes. You never know if you're going to get back again. Obviously, you guys are still down there covering the team. and all. And they haven't been back since. So right. that's why we were so happy for him because this is a dream come true for every last one of us. And right. But for him to come on and be able to walk on that floor and hear, have his name called and wear that, that uniform uh, in the NBA Finals and all his friends in, in Pennsylvania and St. Joseph. And Absolutely. That's, that's what really was all about because, again, you, you, I, I remember reading the book with Dan Marino, and he went to the finals at a, at a Super Bowl as a young – he thought – he said he took it for granted, thinking he was going to get back there the next year or the year after or whatever, and he never went back ever again. And Right. Uh, Stan, Otis, and the rest of us, man, we celebrate the fact that Jermaine was going to come back because, look, this could be it. And, you know, un unfortunately for the Magic, that was the last time for the finals. Unfortunately, it has been, right? <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, it's been a while. You know, Rafer, I think about it. It's so tragic what happened with Kobe. 
Um, you know, but you have a finals series against him. You know, do you, do you cherish that even more that, that you played one of the greatest to ever do it and you got to go up against him in a finals? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I cherish it. I show my son. I show even parents when they ask me about when did I play. That's the first one. So I played in the finals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. And go back to all other things I may have done in my career. Like, I mean, and think about it. I, I was on a team that won 22 in a row. Uh, the very next right. year, the very next year in Orlando, they traded me New Jersey. I was on a team that lost a record straight in a row. So I've been on all sides of the coin with the, with this NBA thing. But right. the one thing I tell people when they ask me, you know, some parents when we, when our son is playing, is, man, I played against Kobe Bryant. I played in the finals. That's <laughs> so exactly right. I, and, and not to mention. Uh, I, and I tell people, and I scored 20 points in game three on Kobe Bryant. I'm in the finals. <laughs> so all right. That's was right. All on Kobe, too. All you 20 know, of them were I'm on happy. Kobe. Well, and also, that's the first finals game the Magic won. So you were a big yeah. part of their first yeah. ever finals yeah. win, you know, so you can add that to that as well. George, I miss those days. Oh, dear Lord, do I, I miss do. those days. I do, too. I, feel, well, look, I miss them, and I, I, you know, and I, the memories are wonderful. Because, like I tell you, just yesterday I was watching game two. There's some days I can sit in the house if, I'm, if I don't fall asleep right away. I'll, I'll watch Game Seven of in Boston. I'll watch Game uh, Game Six Game Six in a uh, Philly. I, yes. you know, you can, the good thing about all this is if I don't have the tapes, I, some of the games are on YouTube. So I'm like, <laughs> no, let, let me go to Game Three or something. You know, <laughs> I have sometimes I dream about it in Game Two in my dreams. Courtney caught it and dunked it. He caught <laughs> oh. it. <laughs> that game was that one. That's that's game, game two because we got we got blown out in game one. Yeah, we got blown out in game one. Yeah, game two. If he'd have just dunked it, in, you know, it is funny because on the plane ride home, the plane pass. ride home, we were telling that like you would dunk, you dunked it on LeBron when he when LeBron would chase you down. Yeah, dunk the ball. You know, and and I'm sure with Courtney, um, that he that probably that replay probably plays over and over in his mind because if we win that and then we turn around and win game three. Then games four is a different dynamic because now they sure. have, to, you know, because we went if we if we take three, if we take uh, two or three in uh, in Orlando, this thing is over, you know. Yeah, I agree. You guys, you <laughs> guys had it rolling, but it was it was, a, but you never know. Maybe it would have been a historic game from Kobe, and you know, yeah, it's it's hard to say. No, but no, 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 we no, were gonna no, win. No, we, we were gonna we, win. We would have won. We won. Okay, yeah, now enough. sad. Now you're making me sad. No, no, no. It's a great <laughs> run. It's great. It's great memories. Ray, for what last thing, when when you're you're still coaching, right? You still get a chance to coach. Or how much? How, what do you tell kids nowadays? What, what's your message to these kids that you're teaching, the, the next generation? Well, I, I I tell them too that you have to go out there and put the work in. And unfortunately for them, they do have uh, severe distractions, and the distraction is technology. You know, we yeah. didn't have how we growing up, so everything was go to the park or go to the gym. So it was every day. You know, I don't care what city say in Boston. I had a lot of friends that lived in Boston, even when I was uh, 12, 13 that I met. They lived in uh, Roxbury, Dorchester. They were playing basketball, and I had a chance sure. to go there. And I said, oh, man, this looks like New York City, uh, Roxbury, yeah. Dorchester. <laughs> so I'm like, so, <laughs> you know, we, we didn't have technology. We had to play every day, every day. And these kids, they think, some of them think they're going to wake up tomorrow and be LeBron, or wake up tomorrow and be Steph Curry. I'm like, these men put, we put countless hours into this. You know, it's like school. You know, you got to get up and go to school every day. You got to do your homework. You got to study every day. It, basketball, the sports is like that, too. You got to do this every day, work on your game every day. So that's what I still think that, that you, you got to embrace the process and embrace the, the, the work. Uh, don't just look for the ending part, you know, because 
you know, even with myself, everyone sees the ending part. You know, oh, he played yeah. the NBA. You don't know the road and the process that it took to get here. And that's what I try to instill the kids is, man, if you could build that work ethic and, 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 and embrace the process and understand that you're going to, it's going to be some bumps in the road and you're going to be fine. That's, that's good words. Dante, I, I, I'm trying to think of another player in our magic history. Skip was only with us for like four months. Oh, he, that had this kind of an impact. In four but he months. has such an indelible Absolutely. imprint on this franchise that, uh, Skip, you were a pleasure to be around, man. It's uh, and I miss it. I miss it. I can't wait to get back down there. Um, um, I remember one time before you guys go is that I remember I came back with the Nets and played against yep. them, and the the ovation I got when they introduced me in the starting lineup that yep. the, that they gave me it was you almost brought tears. And I'm like, man, and it's I almost wanted to run down and like, why did y'all have to trade me? Yes, <laughs> we're still asking that. Well, I don't I know thought, why that happened. I, used to, I, felt, I mean, four months, I fell in love with Orlando because, you know, all this time, even my years playing the NBA, it's like, you think Orlando, you're like, okay, they got the team there and they got Disney. But when yeah. I lived there, I said, wait a minute, this is phenomenal. This is wonderful. <laughs> you know, because you don't, if you don't, if you're not living there, you don't spend a, a lot of time there. You, all you think sure. about magic is there and they have Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have beautiful yeah. golf clubs. You're like, okay, you know, but yeah. No, you're right, man. Well, everybody, when they they talk about that finals team, they bring up Dwight, of course, and you talk about, and the first thing everybody says doesn't happen if you don't get skipped. If you don't make that trade, that I does still not run happen. down the hall. I still run down the hall yelling at people, why'd we trade skip? There's nobody <laughs> to listen to me anymore. Yes, but. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? We got fishing. So we're going to get you down here. We're going to have you come to some games and we're going to take you out fishing down here. I think oh, that's I love it, man. I love it. I can't wait. Great. Well, we appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks so much for giving thanks. us this time. This was great. Thank you for having me anytime. All right. This podcast brought to you by Kia, official vehicle of the Orlando Magic.